Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. This year in preparation for this service, honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the work of Joan Didion was very much on my mind. Joan Didion, author, journalist, and style icon, died at the age of 87 on December 23rd. My favorite tribute to her said that while Everyone else was drinking the Kool-Aid. She stuck to Diet Coke and cigarettes. This is perhaps nowhere more evident than in her essay entitled On Self-Respect, to which I have returned so many times over the years that I've memorized whole passages. It is one of the rare pieces of writing that changed my life. As I read again my favorite of Dr. King's speeches, as well as passages from Taylor Branch's three-volume biography, what surfaced was the intersection of Dr. King and Joan Didion, an unlikely combo perhaps, except this. The theme is dignity. Everyone is born with dignity. Respect is something that is earned. It comes after dignity. And somewhere in there, somewhere on that continuum between dignity and respect, there is a consideration that deserves our full attention on the spiritual journey, the question of self-respect. Stay with me. This is circuitous, but I want to spend a few minutes on self-respect as Joan Didion dissected it. And then we'll circle back to dignity as Dr. King lived it. The essay opens with Joan Didion's shock at not having been elected to Phi Beta Kappa. She knew she simply didn't have the grades, but was nevertheless undone. She realized she had placed her faith in being strangely exempt from cause and effect relationships and thought, just a little too much of herself. She knew it wasn't tragic, but she also experienced it as a kind of end of innocence. She writes, I faced myself that day with the nonplussed wonder of someone who has come across a vampire and found no garlands of garlic at hand. She continues, although to be driven back upon myself is an uneasy fare at best, rather like trying to cross a border with borrowed credentials. It seems to me now the one condition necessary to the beginnings of real self-respect. She is speaking of the challenge of looking in the mirror and not looking away, of facing not the ways we deceive others, but the ways we deceive ourselves. She writes, the charms that work on others count for nothing 
in that devastatingly well-lit back alley where one keeps assignations with oneself. No winning smiles will do here, no prettily drawn lifts of good intentions. One shuffles flashily but in vain through one's marked cards, the kindness done for the wrong reason, the apparent triumph which had involved no real effort, the seemingly heroic act into which one had been shamed. The dismal fact is that self-respect has nothing to do with the approval of others who are, after all, deceived easily enough, has nothing to do with reputation, which, as Rhett Butler told Scarlett O'Hara, is something that people with courage can do without. You hear the ways in which Joan Didion takes no prisoners. She is talking about herself, and she is bearing your soul. Perhaps, like some of you, the moment I first took a good, hard look in the mirror was in relationship to addiction. Specifically, I was in love with an active addict. This was once my specialty. An addict to whom I had granted carte blanche to shatter my heart and my self-respect. One night, and this is years before I made my spiritual home on the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, I waited for her here, just kitty corner to the church, to meet me for dinner. She never appeared. I was afraid to leave, afraid I'd miss her, afraid but unable to face what it meant that she was off drinking and drugging somewhere, choosing drinking over me, loving drugs more than me. Sometime around midnight, when the last bus pulled up, in those days there was a bus station one block over on St. James Ave. I forced myself to get on rather than walk the five and a half miles to our apartment in Somerville. And there on the bus was my friend Ian Douglas with whom I had gone to college and then to divinity school. Years later, to no one's surprise, Ian became the Episcopal Bishop in Connecticut. I sat down where he patted the empty seat next to him, explaining I'd been waiting for someone who never came. He looked at me and said, very simply, it's important to try to love ourselves, too. Not too long afterwards, I awakened in the middle of the night to men's voices in the front hall just outside the door of my apartment and unmistakably heard my girlfriend's voice too. They were making a drug deal. I slipped out of bread, climbed into the, out the kitchen window, and finally left for good. Maybe your moment was less dramatic. I hope so. But I also hope you do have a moment or moments in which your life came into focus, comes into focus, when you see clearly that you need to change direction before you end up where you're headed. Joan Didion concludes, to live without self-respect is to lie awake some night beyond the reach of warm milk, phenobarbital, and the sleeping hand on the coverlet, 
counting up the sins of commission and omission, the trusts betrayed, the promises subtly broken, the gifts irrevocably wasted through sloth or cowardice or carelessness. However long we postpone it, we eventually lie down in that notoriously uncomfortable bed, the one we make ourselves. Whether or not we sleep in it depends on whether or not we respect ourselves. I'm going to circle back to dignity now. Dignity, that which precedes respect and self-respect, but on which they are founded. Dignity, that unearned quality inherent in each and every one of us. Dr. King said, I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. There is nothing more majestic than the determined courage of individuals to suffer and sacrifice for their freedom and dignity. Dr. King spoke about the importance of both discipline and dignity in protesting, what he called painstaking excellence, which would exclude all violence on the part of the protester. Courage and love, he said, would inject new meaning and dignity into the veins of civilization. My friend, Dr. Donna Hicks, author of Dignity, specializes in conflict resolution and worked extensively with Archbishop Desmond Tutu of blessed memory. Meeting with people from both sides of a conflict, people were, who were at war with each other, who had literally tried to murder each other, Donna saw firsthand the destruction done when we disregard one another's dignity. The desire for dignity is universal and powerful, she writes. It is a motivating force behind all human interaction. We all have a deep desire to be treated as something of value. Our shared desire for dignity transcends all our differences, putting our common human identity above all else. While our uniqueness is important, History has shown us that if we don't take the next step toward recognizing our shared identity, conflicts in our personal lives and between nations will continue to abound. When dignity is violated, the response is likely to involve vengeance, aggression, hatred, and violence. On the other hand, the glue that holds all our relationships together is the mutual desire to be seen, heard, and to feel safe in the world. When people treat one another with dignity, they become more connected and are able to create more meaningful relationships. When our identity is accepted and we feel included, we are granted a sense of freedom and independence and a life filled with hope and possibility. We all know the gut feeling of being neglected or mistreated. 
when we are given an apology when someone does harm, we recognize that even when we fall short of being our best selves, there is always a way to reconnect. I'm sorry are two of the most powerful words anyone can utter. To truly understand dignity shatters the limits on healing emotional wounds. It's up to us to honor other people's dignity, taking the time every day to remind ourselves and those around us that we are born invaluable and irreplaceable. In the process, we'll strengthen our own. Donna Hicks concludes, understanding dignity has the potential to change the world. Those who came with bludgeons, fire hoses, and dogs knew nothing of dignity. But Dr. King showed the world that dignity and self-respect could and did, in fact, change the course of history, enabling a people to suffer the greatest indignities and disrespect, starting with the violence of enslavement, and yet rise above to what he called the sunlight of opportunity. Let's close now with Dr. King's reflections on dignity from early in his celebrated speech, I Have a Dream, delivered on August 28, 1963, from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Dr. King said, and so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights 
of meeting physical force with soul force. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Beloved spiritual companions, as we make our way on this spiritual path, building the road as we walk on it together, I commend to you a soul-searching consideration of both self-respect and dignity. With faith and courage and love, honoring our inherent worth and dignity and that of everyone we meet, may we choose to live Dr. King's dream. Amen. Dr. Howard Thurman was considered one of the greatest African-American preachers of his time. At Morehouse College, he had been a friend of Daddy King, and when he became Dean of Theology and the chapels at Boston University, he became a mentor to his former classmate's son. The benediction is adapted from his words. I invite you to put your hands over your hearts in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Let the bells be silenced. Let cheer be muted. Violence stalks the land. But hush, soaring above the cry of the dying, listen to the long stillness. New life is stirring. New dreams are on the wing. New hopes are being readied. Humanity is fashioning a new heart. Humanity is forging a new mind. The holy is at work. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. go I will go beloved where you go I will go where you go I will go beloved where you go I will go for your people are my people your people are mine your people
people are my people, your divine, my divine. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. For your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.